My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Stephen M. R. Covey is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author of The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything. He is the former CEO of Covey Leadership Center, which, under his stewardship, became the largest leadership development company in the world. Stephen personally led the strategy that propelled his father's book, Dr. Stephen R. Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, to become one of the two most influential business books of the 20th century, according to CEO Magazine. As president and CEO of Covey Leadership Center, Stephen nearly doubled revenues while increasing profits by 12 times. During that period, the company expanded throughout the world into over 40 countries, greatly increasing the value of the brand and enterprise. The company was valued at $2.4 million when Stephen was named CEO, and within three years, he had grown shareholder value to $160 million in a merger he orchestrated with Franklin Quest to form Franklin Covey. Stephen received an MBA from Harvard Business School and lives with his family in Provo, Utah. I hope you enjoy learning from Stephen Covey today, because I always do. Stephen, it's so great to chat again today. It's been 15 years since we first met in your living room, and you shared a lesson about trust that I still share with my students each semester. But that's just the beginning. You and your family have impacted me for good in countless ways. When I played football at BYU, I was assigned to be the big brother of your son, Stephen, and he is such a great person and athlete. And then, of course, your son, Britton, is everything that I wanted to be in football. And though we all unsuccessfully tried to get him a scholarship at Stanford while I was out there, uh, Britain keeps rising to the top and had a great performance in the Super Bowl last year. And then three months ago here at KU, one of my colleagues pulled me aside and she said, hey, I heard you assigned seven habits of highly effective people to your leadership students. I am so glad you did. That is one of the greatest books of all time. And then lastly, Stephen, I have to say one of the greatest compliments I ever received was when I was at Norris and Mary Finlayson's house. So they were friends with your parents. And Mary said to me, you remind me of Stephen Covey. I know that was a lot, but you and your family deserve even so much more. And so I'm so grateful that I could have you on the podcast today. Wow. What a, what a kind introduction, Nate. Thank you. And, and uh, I think the world of you and I'm grateful to you for really how, how uh, wonderful and kind and caring you were to my son, Stephen, years ago as his big brother. And and uh, and to see what you're doing now and the impact you're having on students and on people is is really inspiring. So thanks, Nate. Appreciate those kind words. Well, definitely just trying to follow the example of the Coveys. And as you think back, Stephen, on all of the lessons that you've learned, are there two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons that you'd most like to pass along to others? Yes, yes. Um, I, I've got a, a few. So. I, I was preparing for this. So here's here's the first. And this one's going to relate to trust. And I've made my life's work on trust. Here's the insight. You could have two trustworthy people working together, both trustworthy, and yet no trust between them even though they're both trustworthy, if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. So if you think about it, if trust is the outcome we want, a high trust relationship, 
high trust team, high trust culture. Yes, we need to be trustworthy. We earn that. But by itself, it's still not enough to merely be trustworthy. It's necessary but insufficient. We also need to be trusting. We give that. I get asked all the time, Stephen, is trust earned or is it given? And my response is yes. <laughs> Absolutely, it is earned. We have to demonstrate it through our character, our confidence, or our credibility, our trustworthiness. We're trustworthy. But we also need to be trusting. We need to be willing to give the trust, to extend that trust. And here's what I find as I work with organizations really all over the world and executive teams, leadership teams. I find the bigger gap in creating trust in such teams, such organizations, is not that people are untrustworthy. Occasionally, that's the issue. But more often, it's that we're not trusting enough. So I think we have a real charge as leaders, as parents, as people, to not only be trustworthy, but to especially be trusting. Because the act of trusting another is what unleashes their potential, their talent, their greatness, and it is what creates the trust exceptionally fast. So that'd be the first lesson. Can I give a little brief example on it? Love it. So I was just um, in Metzingen, Germany, three months ago, met with the CEO of Hugo Boss, you know, the big global fashion retailer. His name is Daniel Greeter. And when he came in as the CEO of Hugo, Hugo Boss, he was brought in from the outside. This is about two years ago. He came in and he met with his top leaders, his leadership team, top 100 or so. And again, he's brand new to them. They are to him. They're new to him. And in front of this team, he, he got up and he said, hey, team, as I see it, we have two choices. We can either spend the next year getting to know each other, deciding whether or not we can trust each other, you, whether you can trust me, me, whether we can trust, I can trust you. We can do that and we'll waste a year. Or we can decide from day one to trust each other. I choose the latter course. So I want each of you to know this. I trust you. Please trust me back. Together, we can build trust and we can build it fast. Well, he let out. He not only was trustworthy, he was trusting. That was his starting point with his team. He didn't know them, but he started with, I trust you. We hire winners here. This is my starting point. It was amazing how people responded to that trust. They rose to the occasion. They performed better, but they also reciprocated and gave the trust back to him. And he built trust fast by being not only trustworthy, but by being trusting. He also told me this, that they, they developed together a five-year plan. Here they, uh, you know, with all kinds of growth metrics, profit metrics, market share, et cetera. Well, they're two years in, into the plan, but they're on, they're on year four of the plan. They're way ahead of schedule because they're operating at the speed of trust. But he's the one that made it happen by trusting. And, and uh, it unleashed and triggered everything else to to happen with it so that's a key insight not enough to be trustworthy we also need to be trusting as leader leaders and that's more often the bigger gap 
So, so many things uh, are coming to my mind and I just want to share a couple. I'll try to be brief. You mentioned the speed of trust. And this is one of the lessons that you shared with me that has always stuck with me. And you wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. When we trust, we can move really fast. And so the example that you shared was think about an airport and all of the people that show up to an airport and wait in line to go through security. Millions of people are flying a day. We're losing billions of hours of productivity. If you multiply, you know, that hourly wage of somebody by all the time they spend waiting in line, all because we can't trust each other. We don't trust the airlines, don't trust us, and we don't trust the other passengers. So I think the speed of trust is something that's always stuck with me. And I love this idea of not only do we have to be trustworthy, we have to extend trust. It reminds me a little bit of this concept I teach in business ethics, where it's not enough to be a moral manager. A moral manager is a person who is moral, they're ethical, they're honest, they're trustworthy. But just doing that doesn't lead to a moral or ethical organization. What the moral manager has to do is also be a moral leader and demand that of others. They have to expect others to be ethical and, and hold them accountable. And so I love this idea of if we want to develop trust, not only do we have to be trustworthy, but we have to, and, and that's hard to live a whole life of you know being honest and ethical and doing what's right. But then we have to be vulnerable and extend that trust to somebody else because they might let us down. They might not pull through. But if we never extend that trust to others, if we're never vulnerable, then we can't build that trust. So I, I, I love that lesson. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a risk in trusting, but there's a risk in not trusting too. Exactly. I think that more often not trusting is the greater risk. So be smart about it. I'm not asking you to blindly trust anyone and everyone. You have to be contextual and you know use good judgment, but find the ways to lead out in extending trust to others. And you'll be amazed at how you, you you'll you'll create more trust by giving trust. Yeah, excellent. Okay, any other lessons? Here's a second lesson. I've learned that the key to trust, the key to leadership, the key to influence is to always lead from the inside out as opposed to outside in. In other words, that means I go first. I don't wait on others to do it. I don't wait on the systems or the structures to change or the leader to change. The whole idea is that enduring influence is created from the inside out. So my job as a leader is to go first. Somebody needs to go first. Leaders go first. And yet it's so easy for us to say, hey, you know, we'll build trust around here as soon as the boss changes, as soon as we get a new CEO, as soon as this happens or that happens. And that's an outside in approach. They're waiting on others to change or on the company to change or the industry or what have you. And those are all real factors. So I'm not naive to that. But the way that we really bring about change is we work from the inside out. We become the model ourselves. We can then become the mentor to others and we ripple out like a ripple effect metaphor. We go first. And all great change is from the inside out. That's what's enduring. Great influence is from the inside out. We model it. We model the very thing that we want to see. And, and we go first. And it's very easy to kind of wait on everybody else. So it's, it's really a, a challenge to each of us and an opportunity to, to lead out and, and, and be the change that we want to be. You know, as Gandhi said, let us become the change that we seek in this world. That's in an inside-out approach. 
And, and I think that that's, it's, it's something we kind of know intuitively, but I'm convinced it is the best way forward. And it's how we're going to have greater influence with people. I just was with um, uh, the CEO and the top leadership team of Wegmans Food Markets, big grocery store chain in the Northeast. And they've got this great organization, great company, um, all these grocery stores, and they got this great reputation. And they just were ranked for, I can't remember how many years in a row in, on the, you know, the top and, and the reputation quotient index in the top 10 of all brands in, in the United States, you know, you know, the huge trust with customers in the marketplace. And, and yet here's what I find. The reason that they have trust with customers and in the marketplace externally is because they first have built that trust with their own people internally in the, in the workplace. They built it from the inside out and their own people trust them and they trust their people and people respond to that. They feel trusted and trusted people can go build trust with customers more naturally and abundantly than, you know, it'd be incongruent to ask people who you don't trust to go build trust with customers. So it's inside out with them. And the key to winning in the marketplace is because they're first winning in the workplace with their own people, their own team. They're working from the inside out. That's true of an organization. And it's true of each of us as leaders. Leaders go first. It's inside out. And that's the key to influence. So in my class, <clears throat> I talk about, uh, you know, some of the leadership characteristics that are associated with high-performance leadership. And, and one of those that this reminds me of is the proactive personality. You know, effective leaders, they don't just sit around and wait for things to happen. But I, I love your framing of inside out and I go first. And uh, my family, uh, ever since I started doing this podcast, there was, a, well, the very first interview I did was with Kellen Moore. Uh, the, uh, you know, the football yeah. coach um, and the all-time winningest college quarterback. And, and now he's the offensive coordinator for the Chargers. And Kellen said that when he uh, was in high school, his football coach, he had a legendary high school football coach who was actually his father. And uh, he, his father gave him the same pregame speech every Friday night. He gave the team the same speech. And it was the 10 football fundies. And so it, every week it was, you know, pad level and setback comeback. The setback is going to come. And when the setback comes, you know, get ready for the comeback. Since then, my wife and I have been thinking, you know, what are our family fundamentals? And so throughout this podcast, and then just from, you know, things we've learned out throughout our life, we've started collecting what we uh, are calling our family fundamentals. And I, I really like this. You know, we go first, leaders go first, I go first. And that's something I'm going to try to encourage our family to adopt as a, a fundamental. You know, we go first, I go first. That's right, right. So if we want, if we want more respect, be the first to show respect. If we want more openness, more transparency, be the first to be open and transparent. If we want more trust, be the first to give trust. You know, leaders go first. And that's the idea. And I think that that's empowering. Yeah. We don't have to wait on anybody else. And it's an inside-out approach to leadership and really to all of life. Excellent. Any other lessons you'd like to share before we wrap up? Yes. One last lesson. And, and um, this is something that I think uh, is kind of a reflection of this going first, but 
the premise is this, that as leaders, as parents, as people, try to treat others according to their potential rather than, than their behavior. And as we do that, people tend to live up to that potential, it tends to bring out the best in them and they rise to the occasion. It's very easy to naturally treat people according to their behavior because that you know, feels responsive and appropriate, but we're aware of that. But what a leader does is they, they see the potential inside of people, sometimes different than the behavior that's being manifest. They see the potential and then they communicate the potential to the other person so that they come, that they come to see it in themselves. Then they develop the potential. Then they unleash it. They, they extend trust to them. They give them an opportunity. And, and in the process of doing that, treating people according to their potential, you help that person live up to their potential. I think this is really important in parenting. You know, it's very easy to get trapped into a cycle of, you know, of kind of distrust and suspicion, perhaps with our kids. I, I, I was with a, a parent one time and the father said to his son, they were in a cycle of collusion and, and the son was, you know, behaved badly. And the, and the, and the father had kind of labeled the son as you're not trustworthy. And, and, and then he, the father said to the son, why, why did you behave this way? And the son replied, well, dad, that's the way untrustworthy kids like me behave. Mm. In other words, he was living down. Yeah the label that his father had given him maybe accurately at the time but maybe a way of helping that child shift is to treat them according to their potential not just their behavior treat them as if they can be trusted maybe not in everything but in certain things and some things at least start with that find an opportunity to treat them according to their potential and they tend to rise up to that potential and they become that person and and again, I'm not being Pollyannish or naive on this. I recognize we have to deal with the real world and reality, but I still find that that um, this is what leadership is all about, seeing and communicating people's potential and their greatness, their potential for greatness so clearly that they come to see it in themselves and we can help unleash it. And that's real leadership. I think that's great parenting. I think that's great uh, being a great friend helping others live up to their potential. So the key is how we see them. And I love the quote by uh, Thoreau. He said, it's not what we look at that matters. It's what we see. Do mm -hmm. we see the potential in others and help them see it in themselves? Think of Michelangelo when he carved the David, a statue of David, one of the great works of art in the world. He said this, he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. In other words, he saw that potential right there. And what if we apply that idea into people seeing their potential and treating them accordingly? We'll tend to unleash it. I just love this framing in psychology. They call this the Pygmalion effect. You know, you hold people to high expectations and, they people tend to rise or fall to the level of your expectations. So that's a very important principle. And I teach that this framing that you've done is just 
that much more inspirational to me of don't treat people according to their behavior, treat them according to their potential. So this is this is a shift now that whenever I teach Pygmalion effect, this will be the new phrase. I'm, I'm still going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to teach the concept. I'm going to teach the principle and I'm going to add on this extra bit. And again, to me, this is just that much more inspirational. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. And I, and I agree. You know, I understand this concept, uh, Pygmalion effect, Galatea effect, others idea, but it's real, you know, from a practical basis, it people tend to respond to that. Some of the great works of literature have this in there, you know, think of uh, Les Miserables <laughs> and, and the, you know, Valjean steals the candlesticks yeah. the, and the, and the Bishop there doesn't treat him according to his behavior, which is you're a thief. He treats him according to his, his potential here. Take, take the silverware with it, become an honest man. And he does. He lives up to it. I think it's more than just in literature. I think it's in in life, in relationships. Well, Stephen, this has just been uh, just such a pleasure for me. I love chatting with you every chance I get. You inspire me. Uh, you are a true a trust and inspire type of leader. Your your new book that I am reading and, and have already enjoyed so much. Uh, I hope to see you again soon. I hope to chat again soon. I hope to see you either in Lawrence at Allen Fieldhouse or in, in the football stadium for, for a game. But regardless, I'm just so grateful for your friendship and kindness and that we could have this conversation today. Thanks so much, Nate. I feel the same about you and, and I uh, think the world about you and always have, and I always knew that uh, you were destined for great things like you're doing now. So delighted to be on your podcast, Mickles and Dimes. Love it. <laughs> And excited to, to share these insights and 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 learnings that from my, you know, that are important to me with others. So thanks for this opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. Every time I interact with Stephen Covey, I learn something new. And I love the lessons he shared today. First, you can have two trustworthy people working together and yet no trust between them if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. Extending trust requires us to be vulnerable. Sure, there is a risk in trusting, but there's also a potentially bigger risk in not trusting. Second, the key to trust, leadership, and influence is to lead from the inside out, which to Stephen means, I go first. Don't wait for others to lead. Don't wait for the systems or leaders to change. Enduring influence is created from the inside out, so the job of a leader is to go first. Third, treat others according to their potential rather than their behavior. It's easy to treat people according to their behavior, but a leader sees the potential in other people and communicates that potential to them so that they can see it in themselves. Treating people according to their potential rather than their behavior helps people live up to their potential. Whenever I think of Stephen Covey, I think of trust, but now I'll also think of leadership as well because he just shared three crucial elements of effective leadership. Trust others, go first, and treat people according to their potential. All simple ideas. Please take them seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Thanks for your support.